transformation logic is easier to implement. Um, but I, I have to be honest, it's not a silver bullet. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 28 of the For the Love of Data podcast. Today we're back with another guest from the Netherlands. I'm not sure what it is about the Dutch, but they've been on a roll with some helpful thought leadership when it comes to data in the last episode in this one. My guest today is Rick Vanderlands, a highly respected analyst, consultant, author, and international lecturer specializing in data warehousing, business intelligence, big data, and database technology. I came across one of Rick's white papers a few months ago on data virtualization. We got in touch and sat down to talk more in depth about the topic on this episode. Rick has a lot of data street cred. For many years, he served as the chairman of the annual European Enterprise Data and BI Conference in London and the annual Data Warehousing and BI Summit in the Netherlands. He's also written tons of articles, blogs, and several books, including, get this, the first book published on SQL. That was a little bit back in the day, but he definitely knows his stuff. There will be some links to um, some of the places and things that Rick has written about and other info in the show notes for this episode at fortheloveofdata.com slash e28. Uh, so without any further ado, let's jump right in and hear from Rick. All right, today I'm here with Rick Vanderlands, who uh, again is joining me from the Netherlands like, uh, like Ronald Damhoff from my last podcast, and I think the two of you know each other, so Rick, if you don't mind, take a minute and... Uh, just introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your background. All right. Uh, so uh, I'm an, uh, an independent analyst. I'm uh, based in the Netherlands, as you said, like uh, Domhof. Uh, um, uh, I've been in the uh, IT world now for about 30-plus uh, years. This is, this is what I do. This is the only thing I can do, I believe. Uh, uh, and for, in all those 30 years, I've always focused on database technology, data warehousing, uh, business intelligence, and of course today these, these topics include big data and uh, uh, analytics. Uh, and what I do about it is I, I write about it, I write books, I write blogs, I write white papers, uh, I do uh, I talk about the topics at big events, international events, uh, uh, and I still do my consultancy work uh, just to sort of stay in touch with the, uh, all, the, all the issues that organizations are, uh, are dealing with. And the last couple of years, I would say the last, well, maybe, well, maybe six, seven years, I've focused quite heavily on data virtualization technology and let's say some of the use cases of the technology, such as uh, the logical uh, data warehouse. So in a nutshell, that's sort of uh, that's sort of what I do. Okay, great. Uh, and so I came across uh, your name when I saw uh, an article that was titled um, "Developing a Bimodal Logical Data Warehouse Architecture Using Data Virtualization." And I'll list that on the show notes. Uh, but give me a little bit of background on that topic and. I know you said you've started moving into that over the last six to seven years. So was there a specific need that uh, that per precipitated that? Or give me the background on that. All right. Uh, so, in fact, there are sort of two questions hidden in your, your question. First one is, is uh, why did I get sort of interested in, in data virtualization itself? And I think the reason for that was that... Um, Data virtualization technology can be used you know, for all kinds of use cases, uh, but one that is being 
deployed very often lately is the logical data warehouse architecture. Um, and the interest in logical data warehouse architectures uh, stems from the fact that uh, a lot of people have these sort of classic data warehouse architectures <clears throat> where we copy data from production systems into staging areas and then we copy it into data warehouses and then we copy it into data marts uh, and we use these ETL processes to copy from one database to another. That's almost like a, a classic data warehouse consists of a chain of databases. But what most companies have discovered over the years is that it's not a very flexible architecture. If users want to have a new report or if they want to change an existing report, it, it can take months before the IT department or the BICC, yeah, the Business Intelligence Conference, a competence center, is, is, is before they have that sort of done well, easily, again, it can take you know, two to three months in some companies. So. And I was sort of interested in, in, in can you come up with, let's say, data warehouse architecture that are more flexible, more agile, that we can build more quickly, that we can react more quickly to users, business users. Uh, if they have certain information or reporting demands, very quickly we can build that stuff. Uh, and data virtualization technology uh, being, let's say, a more you know, a newer, a more modern form of data integration uh, offers that ability to, to integrate uh, data more quickly, build more agile architectures, and thus respond more quickly to changing information needs of the business users. So that's sort of in a nutshell why I became interested in data virtualization technology. Now, a little later, I came across the term bimodal, and uh, for those who are not so familiar with it, yeah, bimodal as a term was introduced by Gartner in, I believe, 2014. Uh, uh, what, what they meant with the term was that there are sort of two styles of development, and then development of applications or development you know, of reports doesn't doesn't really matter. Uh, they said you have the more traditional style of development, where we have this sort of long, let's say, analysis phase and a long design phase and a long development, long testing phase, and then besides that, you have let's say uh, the more agile, scrum-like design or build techniques, uh, which more and more companies are deploying. And they said, well, there's like, these are like two modes of development. Uh, uh, because of that, they use the term bimodal. Uh, so two forms. And it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that there are two forms. And sometimes you have to apply the first one, uh, the older one. And sometimes you have to apply the second one. And, and the funny thing is, or the interesting thing, is that in the data warehouse world, we see that same thing. Uh, sometimes, well, let's take... Uh, let's say the example of you have to build a report that has to be sent to some kind of an, uh, an, a legislator. The report has to adhere to all kinds of rules. Uh, uh, maybe the agile design technique is not the right approach for that. Maybe you go, have to go through a long analysis and through a long uh, development and testing phase just to be sure that that report is really, really according to all the rules. On the other hand, in the BI space, we have this world of self-service BI, uh, data science, where, where people work in a more investigated style, a more agile style. Um, so we have those two styles or modes of development as well. Now, again, what we're seeing is, is that the classic traditional data warehouse architecture is more designed to support that first 
mode, that first style uh, where we build reports that have to adhere to all kinds of rules. And it's, it's hard sometimes to sort of implement these more self-service environments, uh, data science-like environments within that more rigid classic data warehouse architecture. Uh, but what we're seeing is that if we go from, let's say, if we build data warehouse architectures based on data virtualization technology, it is easier you know, to implement that new style of, of BI as well. Uh, and that's sort of the, uh, the idea behind, that was the idea behind the white paper. And it's also a, a sort of a topic that's interesting to me. Um, I think some people call this the, the big BI dilemma. How do you build a warehouse architecture that combines those two types of data usage, let's say, and those two styles of uh, development? Am I making sense, Robert, here? Absolutely. Uh, I definitely appreciate your uh, uh, the background that you just gave, and it brings up tons of questions for me. Uh, one of the things that I want to hit on first is a comparison and a contrast to uh, the data quadrant. For those uh, that have listened to my podcast, I had a previous episode uh, with, with Ronald Damhoff, and he talked about different quadrants. And so the top quadrant one and two, uh, in my opinion, seems to follow this uh, sort of the first approach that you talked about, the mode one, and the, and the bottom quadrants three and four uh, followed the the second approach, the second mode. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's uh, not an exact overlay with uh, with his model? It, it's not a perfect uh, overlay, but I would say uh, there's a very strong relationship between those uh, IDs. Uh, for example, in, in addition, Gardner talks about uh, the concept of industrialization, or sometimes I believe they call it operationalization, where they say that sometimes you have these more investigative environments, these self-service environments, where someone builds something, let's say for himself or for herself, and then colleagues see that and they go like, hey, this is an interesting report that you built, can I use that as well? And then we should be able to take that development and then sort of move that into mode one. And again, this sort of corresponds to the ideas of, uh, uh, of the, the quadrant, let's say. But it's not 100% the same, but I think they're sort of trying to do or to describe the same concepts. Okay. And the paper that you wrote was, I, I believe, co-sponsored by uh, Denodo, which is a platform uh, that provides data virtualization capabilities. And so can you tell me a little bit about the major players in this space? Sure. Yes. So the uh, the market of data virtualization uh, servers or engines, as we call them, uh, um, I can't do it in alphabetical order from the top of my head. But I think the uh, the, the the dominant players, the, the 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 vendors that we see a lot of companies uh, sort of evaluate or put on their uh, short lists are Denodo, uh, uh, the one you just mentioned, and the one that sponsored the uh, white paper. You have uh, the product from TIPCO, uh, the product from uh, Red Hat, uh, which is called JBoss Data Virtualization, uh, and then you have the uh, German product called Data Virtuality, or, well, in fact, that's the name of the vendor. The product is called UltraRep. 
Uh, a lot of people are not really familiar yet with the fact that Tipco is in that market, and that is because they uh, uh, bought that product uh, in December, if I remember correctly, uh, from Cisco. So some people still talk about Cisco as being that vendor, but it's now a product owned by uh, Tipco, and it's called the Tipco Data Virtualization Manager. Uh, uh, besides those four, you also have products from a company called AdScale. You have a product from uh, Zero, Zero with a C. Uh, you have, uh, what more do we have? We have um, uh, a product from Stonebond, which is based in your Texas. I believe they're from, from Austin. Uh, yes. And then uh, IBM has just entered this market, you could say, because there was a product from Rocket. Uh, software, um, and that product is now being sold under IBM's name, and it's called the, uh, I think it's called IBM Data Virtualization, well, probably IBM Data Virtualization, and they did that a few weeks ago. So that's sort of in a nutshell, the, uh, the market of vendors who are into this stuff of data virtualization. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you think any one of these that you mentioned is a clear leader, or do they have uh, you know, different pros and cons that work uh, better or worse for different, uh, different in industries or firms? Well, I think the, the four first ones that I mentioned are sort of dominating this market. Those are the ones we see very, very often. Uh, um, if you would sort of compare them, uh, there are differences, uh, and the differences have primarily to do with the fact that uh, products such as Denodo and the ones from Tifco have, well, they're already like like 10 years old, while, for example, products such as Data Virtuality is, is much younger. And I think that's just a... Just uh, something you see always, right? It, you need some time to sort of develop functionality, and data virtuality is just a little behind because they're just a, a younger product. That's it. Uh, uh, but if you would compare the Denodo product with the Tipco product, it's really comparing apples with apples. Or maybe I should say you're comparing green apples with green apples. Uh, and funny enough is that, that that also makes it hard for customers to choose because they're so alike. Um, of course, there are differences, but the differences are in the details. Great. So do you see any firms that are doing this in a uh, – in a more homegrown approach without one of these large tools, doing it with, you know, something like a, uh, uh, an abstraction layer in a database with uh, hand-created views and materialized views? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, for example, in my own country, there's a, a, a university here, and they created their logical data warehouse using uh, the view mechanism of SQL Server. <clears throat> Together with that, they also use in-memory tables. Uh, so, yeah, you can build it yourself. But I think, uh, we have to be honest, if you do that, it, it, don't build a very large system uh, because eventually you're going to miss all kinds of features that are just core features of these more professional data virtualization products. So, yes, it can be done, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's for relatively small systems. And if, in this university, by the way, their system is also a relatively small system, with all due respect, of course. So would you recommend, uh, if someone's interested in data virtualization, would you recommend them try to roll their own and draw a line in the sand that says, once we get this big or once we get this many 
you know, departments or subject areas in, then it's time to start looking at a tool, or would you recommend that they start looking at a tool from the start? Uh, the, the, the latter. So I would recommend first to look at the tool so that they – now let me go back here – is that some people think that data virtualization products are just, you know, sort of – uh, view mechanisms on steroids, right? And they think like, well, it's sort of the same thing, right? Except it's in a separate product. It's not in your database server. But if you really compare, let's say, the view mechanism that you have in SQL Server and Oracle and DB2 versus, let's say, the view mechanisms you have inside data virtualization products, it's a it's a big, big, big difference. Yeah. For for example, um, if if these environments become big, I mean you're not going to have, let's say, 15 or 20 views, right? You're going to have hundreds of views. Uh, eventually, you have to find out how does it all link together. Now, most database servers can't give you a very detailed overview of, of how views are sort of built on top of each other, on, on, on top of physical tables. Uh, while while the, 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 the professional data virtualization products, it's just a push uh, of the button, and you get this sort of perfect description of how it all links together. So you can do your lineage, your impact analysis, uh, and you need that, right? If it becomes big, you really, really need that. Uh, um, and that's just one feature that you will be missing. So I can understand that companies start out with a more simpler you know, database server-based solution, but I, it's, I think they should only do that if they know exactly yeah, what they don't have, right? So I think it's always worthwhile to study those data virtualization products and then determine if it really makes sense, right, to first start out with views. I hope I'm... I hope I'm explaining this clearly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a, a good sort of best practice to follow. Uh, I want to ask, too, about uh, persisting data or materializing data. So is there a best practice or a heuristic uh, or a, one of the specific tools that uh, that has a feature built in where, you know, if you're trying to combine 10 million records from three different data sources, that it's going to persist that so that consumers can get to it more readily like is there a is there a limit to the ability to pull the data on the fly and combine it in memory uh, that you try to follow or uh, any kind of uh, you know recommendation that, that you try to give people to, to look out for completely in memory and virtual versus persisting Right. Okay. So, um, well, this is going to cost about two hours to explain. Right? Uh, <laughs> Boil it down uh, into so an I elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, while well, you use the term uh, materialization, um, it's the uh, the term we normally use, right? If we have the classic uh, view mechanism in database servers, in uh, the data virtualization products, you also have something similar. It's called uh, caching. Uh, and caching gives people the feeling that that data is sort of moved in memory, but it's not. It's stored uh, in databases or in on, on, in files, uh, and and that's something that's that's important to understand that they have that particular feature. So imagine you have a view or a virtual table in a data virtualization product. Uh, if you access that virtual table, then in principle uh, the source or the sources are being accessed. Um, what we can do is say, no, we're going to cache that view, we're going to cache the, the virtual table, and when that happens, then the, the virtual content 
of the virtual table is determined and that content is stored in a database server. So you can store it in Oracle, you can store it in SQL Server, and then from then on, if you access the virtual table, you are accessing that cached virtual table, right? That's their, let's say, form of materialization. Which works great, right? Works fine. Uh, plus, you can choose any database, almost any database server, to uh, for the whole caching uh, concept. So you can use one of the fastest analytical SQL database servers on the planet uh, to store those, those caches. So now, when do we use that mechanism? There, well, performance uh, performance issues can can be one. Uh, but you should not underestimate yeah, the efficiency you know, with which these products access you know, the sources. So I think in your question you said imagine you're combining 10 million rows from one database with so many rows from another database. If, if you look at the internal query optimization techniques that those products use, uh, that join can still be extremely fast. Um, what we see is that for a large part, yeah, the performance is determined by the performance of the, that underlying source database server. Uh, so if that's a very small database server, uh, slow disks, uh, then of course it will be slow. But if that source is in, is in a super fast Hadoop platform or a, or a super fast Teradata platform or an, uh, an Ateza machine from IBM, um, it can be really, really fast. And then from a performance standpoint, there may not be any need you know, to, to, to do caching. Uh, uh, but sometimes we have to do it. But it can be performance, but it, it can also be interference, right? Imagine that the source system is a transactional system, and maybe the query that we're firing off from a data virtualization product, the query is not, um, is not that not that complex, it could even mean, yeah, but you're creating too much interference, you're, you're clashing with the transactional workload. That could also be a reason yeah, for, for caching. Uh, or let's say we have a report, uh, let's say we have a report that's being used by a group of business users and they prefer to see the same data in their reports the whole week long, right? So imagine they run a report and they want to see the same values, right? They run it the next day, same, they want to see the same values. If we then access, let's say, a source system, and the source system is a transactional system, they will see a different result every day, right? Every time right. when they run the report. That could be another reason for doing caching. And that has no relationship to performance. So this is the very short answer to your to your question. That's great. I, I want to step back for a minute and think about some organizations that may be struggling just to get the essentially the classical version of a data warehouse. People that are still trying to struggle to get a single source of truth, even though that's a little bit of a loaded term and people probably need to be thinking about a single source of facts. But I'm sure there are a lot of organizations out there that are just struggling to figure out how they stage data from multiple sources, how they consolidate it, and they may be going down the path of a, a true data warehouse that is, uh, you know, jointly owned by uh, IT and, and functional people, or they may be trying to roll their own in some kind of Shadow IT, how do you get a company like that uh, to step up to a higher level and start thinking about mode one versus mode two and start thinking about a data virtualization tool? Mm. Um, well, 
Um, well, if they're sort of struggling with their uh, current uh, architecture, um, the reason that they're struggling can be anything, right? It can be that the the rest of the organization is not really cooperating. It can be that the data has such a low quality level. Um, and let's say within the organization, there's no one yeah, who thinks that that quality level has to go up for, for whatever reason. So the reasons can be anything, right? Uh, um, I think um, I, I think the... Uh, the, the answer should, should probably be is that if you're struggling, and the struggling is because your architecture is just too, has become too rigid, right? It has become too inflexible, uh, users are unhappy, then it's sort of the time to study you know, the concept of the logical data warehouse architecture because it's just a simpler architecture. Mind you, we have to do the same things, right? Uh, uh, the, for a data warehouse environment, the sources are given facts, right? The reports we have to build or the, the self-service BI users we have to sort of serve, uh, those are the same. The question is what's in between, right? But whatever you build in between, as I always say in my sessions, that the transformations that you have to apply to the data are always the same, right? Uh, so if we have sources A and B, we have report uh, one, uh, whether we use a classic ETL-based approach or data virtualization approach, the transformations we have to apply to the data <coughs> are the same. And whether those transformations are, are filters or, or, or cleansing operations or, or whatever, it's the same. But the big advantage of data virtualization technology is that that transformation logic is easier to implement. Um, but I, I have to be honest, it's not a silver bullet, right? Uh, it could well be that, that customers that are struggling with their warehouse environments, that the problems are somewhere else, right? Maybe it's in the organization. Maybe it's just, I don't know, trust in the data itself. Uh, it could be the, the culture. It could be not the right technical you know, qualities or skills. Uh, it can be anything. Um, does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it... You know, it always goes back to those fundamentals of uh, organizational alignment and trust in uh, you know, the foundations there. So yeah, yeah. do you, uh, from the work that you've done over the past several years, do you see uh, any particular industry leading the way in embracing this uh, or any that are particularly lagging behind? Hmm. Yeah, I get that question very often. Uh, is it the retail world that's adopting this or oil or financial uh, and I don't really see a trend it's um, if I if I look at the uh, customers that I've been working with let's say the last three or four years it's 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 online gaming companies it's uh, it's retail it's it is oil it's financial it's uh, it's almost everything it's a uh, um, very large organizations mid-sized organizations <clears throat> I don't think that one industry is sort of dominating here. Um, from my perspective, that's a good thing, right? Because that means uh, I see all these different organizations, different types of organizations. I can sort of see what they're doing with this type of technology. Uh, um, no, I don't think there's a, a certain industry dominating this. Uh, what, no. what about particular characteristics of a firm, like a firm that's embraced... Agile development over waterfall, or a firm that is 
not the top player in industry. Maybe they're uh, third or fourth or fifth, and they're uh, aspiring to become number one. Are there any specific characteristics that you think make an organization more likely to embrace this? Uh, mm, uh, let's see. It's. I think if I try to see some kind of a pattern, I would probably say it's it's the, it, those organizations all have. A, a classic data warehouse architecture is some in a very premature state, some in a uh, in a state that, that they've been working on the thing for years and years and years. Uh, version number 12, let's say, uh, uh, and they are in, they are in pain. Let's say uh, uh, they they can't let's say follow the speed of the business anymore. Uh, it's becoming too expensive. It's too slow. Uh, uh, some some people say, right? For some companies, the, the the nights have become too short, right? To to um, update all the data marts at night. Uh, uh, I think it's the companies that are sort of struggling you know, with their existing data warehouse environments, uh, and they're looking for something else. They're looking for a different solution. And then most of them are looking for an, a new solution that they can sort of bring in in an evolutionary way. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that instead of that the, that the recommendation is throw away what you have and build from scratch, but a solution where you can say, okay, this is what I have. What I have, I'm not happy with it, uh, but can we sort of slowly move step by step, little step by little step, yeah, to this uh, to a new architecture, and and data virtualization lends itself for for that. So I would say that's sort of what binds most of the companies that went over to uh, to data virtualization. Uh, well, maybe there's one other thing, yeah, and that is that the uh, that that companies that want to do more and more with self-service and BI, right? These more freestyle users, uh, I think that could also be a driver. Yeah, for moving towards a new architecture. Yeah, I think those two things. Uh, yeah, it's a good question, Robert. Uh, makes me think about this stuff. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep probing on this a little bit more. Are there are there any uh, clients or any uh, particular firms that you think this is not a good fit for? Like somebody that is incredibly heavily regulated, or someone that is so agile uh, and and has such a lack of a need for regulatory reporting that they would stay only on the mode two and, and never really move into mode one? Mm. Um, I would probably look at it from a different angle. I would probably look at it from a, 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 the data aspect that uh, companies that have a lot of what some people call unstructured data, right, like audio, video, uh, text, images, uh, if you want to analyze that, I think we have to be honest and say that most of the current data virtualization products don't really have a lot of capabilities to analyze that or to process that, uh, as things like doing sentiment analysis on text or automatic uh, object tagging of images. Uh, um, we, we, we can do it with data virtualization, but it's not a perfect match, let's say. Uh, so if, if so, for example, nowadays, right, you have companies who want to build data lakes, and some people throw a lot of structured data in there. That's fine for data virtualization. But if you sort of bring in all the, the unstructured stuff, uh, and then you want to use data virtualization, I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, um, so that's sort of an area where the vendors still have to do stuff, right? Um, um, I think that's how I would attack that. Uh, it's 
So if I if I get a call from a customer who says that well we want to do data virtualization in combination with unstructured data, I'll probably go look. Are you? I would probably ask them, are you sure? <laughs> um, 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 yeah. Um, an, another issue, and I've, I've, I've come across a project, data virtualization project, uh, where the problem was, and maybe I should, should start to think about this myself, is that they had hired people with a lot of experience in building classic data warehouses, uh, uh, and they were asked to build this data virtualization-based data warehouse, uh, and they just didn't get it. They were sort of they were sort of stuck in their own ways, if I'm allowed to say that, that they could barely grasp the idea of, no, if we use data virtualization, then you have to do it in a different way. It's, it's a different style of technology. And they just didn't get it. And it was not that they couldn't program in SQL or program the transformations. They, they were so in this, 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 this concept of thinking of, hey, no, you first copy it into a staging area, then you copy it into a warehouse, then you copy the data mark. That's how we've been doing it for so long, um, and that's how we will still do it. Uh, so eventually they, they send them away. So maybe that could be something that I should look at more often myself, that if, if a company starts out with that, this, maybe maybe we should ask about the background you know, of the developers. Uh, are they st are they still flexible enough, right, to work with these new technologies and architectures? And that's a good insight, and that's actually you're starting to lead into what my next question was going to be. Are there uh, specific challenges that uh, someone might encounter as they're trying to do data virtualization? that if they go unchecked, they're going to cause it to fail. Something like, hey, I think I can just buy this tool and throw a lot of data in there, and it's just magically going to all unite and everyone's going to be happy, uh, versus mm. spending the time to you know, build out proper subject areas and really think about what that, those combinations of data need to look like. What are, some, what are some gotchas that people need to look out for? Yeah. So, so uh, one of the thing that, things that always surprises me is that uh, people think that if you buy data virtualization product, you know, integration of data sources is suddenly much easier than if we do it with ETL-type tools. Uh, uh, and that's not always the case. Um, if you take a simple example... If we imagine we have a company that acquired another company, you have your customer uh, table, let's say, that the company you acquired have their, has their own customer table. Imagine you want to join them or combine them together. What you want to do somehow is, of course, find out that, hey, your customer A is the same as customer 1 you know, in that other database, in that other table. But how do you know that, right? How, what kind of logic do you need to find out that those two are really, really the same? And the key structures don't match. Uh, maybe the spelling of addresses is a little different. Uh, now, that type of integration has always been been hard to do, right? In ETL tools, sometimes we have to bring in uh, fuzzy logic algorithms, or sometimes we have to bring in master data you know, to help with that. Well, in, in the data virtualization world, we have the same problem, and it, the problem is as hard. So maybe, maybe sometimes we're, we're overselling this concept, and we're selling it in a way of, oh, this is going to solve all your integration problems, and, uh, um, and well, sometimes integration is still hard. 
the difference is is in the implementation of your solution and the implementation is much much more flexible uh, and I think that that that's in a way sort of a challenge here is that people sort of get the idea and then right away they go like oh but then life is suddenly very very easy all the problems right uh, are easy to to, uh, to to solve and that's not the case as I, I think I said it's it's not a silver bullet so that's sort of a challenge right that that the I think there's a term for this right that you um, there's a term for this uh, that the uh, expectation right or the expectation level is, is, is so high that, that no technology can get to that, right? Uh, so that, that's a challenge. Uh, and another challenge has to do with how you deploy these products, how you use them yeah, in projects. Uh, uh, that, that in the classic data warehouse environment, we've always had this approach of, okay, we, we'll build little pieces. Uh, um, but with data virtualization, we can build in really small pieces, right? So we can go for an extremely agile approach. Um, if we don't do this, if we go back to the more traditional approach of developing, we're probably not going to get all the the power that's potentially in these products. Uh, so I would call those two sort of two challenges. Okay. So what are what are some ways that somebody should get started with this? If they say, hey, I, I know I want this tool, I'm going to buy it, deploy it, where do I get started? Do I pick one project? Do I pick one report? Do I pick uh, one department to, to go after? Yeah, the, the, the black and white advice is always uh, pick a report, right? Because it's not, it's not a big thing to build, right? Uh, uh, so pick a report, uh, build, let's say, uh, uh, a couple of views, right, to support uh, that report, make it operational, run it, right, uh, um, and then look at what you've done, right? look at how you created it, are you still happy with your approach, because normally if we build that one report with this, let's say, um, you know, sort of a little pile of, of, of virtual tables or views, uh, uh, that, that first thing gives us so much insight in how we should use these tools, how we should build it all up. Uh, uh, and normally, if we go too wide, right, if we take a whole project or we start to build five, six, seven, eight reports from, from scratch, it's, uh, it's still a lot of work, right, to do. And maybe what you've done is not really perfect, right? It's not ideal. So you sort of minimize the risk if you just say, okay, let's first try one report, right? Just, just one. See if we can make it work, uh, learn from that, then go to the next one, right? Learn from that. Uh, and I know I always get that when I propose this at customers. Uh, they always go like, yeah, but what? Yeah, if we start out with the second report and the first stuff, yeah, the first thing that we created is not really good enough and we have to change it. And then you go like, yeah, this is data virtualization, right? Uh, making changes, that's why we do this stuff. Uh, uh, so making those changes is not very difficult to do. So think very small, short iterations. So that's normally the, the recommended approach. So is it hard to get people to understand that with this it's okay to start quickly, get it wrong, and fail fast and change to something else? Some people pick that up very quickly, yeah, and, and, and some some don't. <laughs> They're always sort of afraid that when they yeah, build things in, in, in very small iterations, uh, uh, 
that they make mistakes, right? Uh, and that they have to change that later on. And you go like, that's that's fine, just do it, right? Uh, but build something. And, and by the way, and that's not an answer to your question, sorry. But by the way, if you go for that f first report approach, make sure that it's a report that is... Is the word sexy? Yeah, maybe it is <laughs> sexy, right? That, that 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 a part of the organization goes like, oh, that is cool, right? That is useful. That people start to talk about it, right? Uh, and uh, about, oh, were you able to build it so quickly? Uh, uh, so not one of these reports that, that no one looks at, right? But really a cool report, right? Or dashboard or anything. Uh, I always like that uh, I think that's important as well. Yeah, which report do you pick? Very good. So if there's an organization that has embraced uh, this mindset, they've got a platform in place, they're doing the bimodal BI, everybody's happy, where do they go next? What's the next thing that they should be thinking about? Well, they, uh, the, uh, so imagine they do this from a, let's say, data warehouse perspective, right? And if you say, uh, well, it's what you said, right, the self-service BI and bimodal, uh, um, I, I would say look around you. Uh, the, the point is is that uh, my feeling is, is that uh, w within an organization, you know, the warehouse is just one of the data delivery systems. And with data delivery, mean right some kind of system that delivers data, information, reports, yeah, to users, to uh, 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 managers, external parties, anything. It's just, but it's just one data delivery system. But in most organizations, we are building several data delivery systems. Uh, as you know, the data lake has become very popular. Uh, the data lake for data scientists, in a way, that's also. A, a, a data delivery system. We have data marketplaces, which is a third uh, data delivery system. We have API gateways that make information available uh, to mobile apps uh, through JSON REST interfaces. And that's a fourth uh, data delivery system. And then, well, there's still a lot of companies who send out files, right, to uh, other parties. So you go like, okay, so you have a file sort of a managed file transfer information system, well, that's data, data delivery as well. Now, if you normally look at all these systems, what you'll see is that we are reinventing the wheel over and over again, because probably all these systems need to ask, access the customer data, the sales data. So in every data delivery system, we try to integrate that. And in all of them, we try to come up with another technical solution to do that. And you go like, Hmm, maybe that's not so smart, right? So maybe if you're if you want to sort of look beyond your data warehouse, maybe it's time to look at how can we unify you know, all those data delivery systems. Uh, and I think that would be the next step. Very good. So is there anything that uh, we haven't covered that you'd like to emphasize and make sure people think about? Well, we have covered a lot of uh, topics, right? In these, uh, we have. It's a lot minutes. to think about. Yeah. Um, uh, well, maybe what I do want to say is that um, uh, there's, there are a lot of misconceptions about data virtualization and logical data warehouse. Uh, uh, um, uh, 
don't believe all these sort of myths that are sort of floating around about these topics, about it's slow and it's only about integrating databases and it will create disturbance on our operational systems. Uh, if, if you still have that feeling, try to get in touch with a, with a company that has been doing this for a couple of years. Ask them. You know, ask them what the issues are. Do they have problems? Uh, uh, and I think you'll get a much more realistic view of what we're doing with this technology today. Uh, I think I want to add that, yes. Very good. Well, tell me uh, how people can find you if they're interested in learning more uh, about this topic or about what you're up to. All right. Well, they can easily find me on the web if you just type in my name uh, on Google. You'll, you, you'll find me. But you, you can also go to our website, which is www uh, and then r20, so it's r20, and then dot nl. Nl stands for for Netherlands. Uh, so you you can go there. We have a lot of um, information on the white papers we wrote on these topics, and that's I think where you also find found the white paper, Robert. Uh, There's some uh, links to articles there. Uh, uh, we have lists of uh, seminars that we're doing uh, on these topics worldwide. Um, and uh, of course they can find me on Twitter uh, they can find me on LinkedIn I always like that if people sort of uh, connect uh, through LinkedIn just type in my name yeah, and you'll find me uh, um, yeah, I think those are the, the ways. And if you're, if you come to these big TDWI events in the U.S., uh, I normally do my sessions there on uh, data virtualization. Excellent. I'll have to look you up there, and I'll be sure to link up in the show notes all the all the points of contact that you mentioned there. So uh, we'll probably wrap things up here in a second. But before I go, I do want to uh, ask you: tell me something I don't know about you, personally, professionally, something that might surprise people. All right. Oh, okay. Well, well, maybe this that um, when I started my career in 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 IT, which is uh, 1980, 1981 or something, uh, um, I started to work for a company called Control Data. And the older people will probably still remember that name. Uh, they were big in in in, in the, these big supercomputers, uh, uh, big in, in disk uh, technology. Uh, but I was working for uh, one of the research labs yeah, in Brussels, in Belgium, and they were doing research into new data modeling techniques and database languages, uh, and they had come up with a language called RIDL, R-I-D-L, and at about the same time, another language became popular called SQL, uh, and, 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 and my colleagues wanted to know, well, well is our language better than, than SQL? Uh, and they said, well, uh, you're going to study that. So they told me to study SQL and to find out all the weak spots of, uh, of SQL. Uh, so I became very experienced in SQL. Uh, because of that, a few years later, a publisher asked me, well, uh, uh, you know a lot about SQL, it's becoming popular, can you write a book on, on SQL? Uh, uh, which I did, and the title was very creative, Introduction to SQL. Um, and uh, that was the first book on SQL uh, on the planet, and it became available in English and Chinese and French and, and German. Uh, and, and what surprises myself every time is that these data virtualization products are, all of them are SQL based. Uh, so, so if I look at this, I go like, okay, so, so 32 years, if I do my math correctly, 32 years later, and I'm still playing around with SQL. I go like. <laughs> 
man, when I did that stuff, everyone told me, well, the IT world moves really, really fast, right? Uh, a new technology comes along, and before you know it, there's another one. And I went like, well, I'm not so sure about the <laughs> SQL. It's still there, right? It's still the core of most systems, and it's now the core of data virtualization products. So, yeah, that's that's... It's interesting. Yeah. You should tell these product companies they owe you some uh, royalties based on your uh, first book on SQL. <laughs> All right, that's a good idea. I'll call them up right after this podcast. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for the time today. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and hopefully we can connect again soon. Sure. Thank you very much, Robert. It was a pleasure. We hope you're enjoying the For the Love of Data podcast. If you are, please support us by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, such as iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. To stay plugged in to all things data, subscribe to our mailing list at fortheloveofdata.com. You can also find show notes for all of our episodes on the website as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic or ideas for future episodes. To get in touch, tweet us. We're at loveofdata or at Robert Fur on Twitter. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, keep spreading the love of data to the world around you.